Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. Bible says, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation works patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Man, that's loaded in verse number five. But isn't that great? You say, no, it says in the first part of the verse, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. God wants us to expect results as a believer in him. But he's asking us to get an understanding and get a hold of Every day is not going to be a Friday. a matter of fact, most of them aren't going to be Friday. They're going to be full of tribulations. And it's part of the Christian life. This isn't a word of faith church. This isn't one of these heretical mega churches that says that if you just have enough faith, you'll get all the wealth and all the health and all the... I know a lot of faithful missionaries that don't have wealth, don't have health. Don't they have a lot of tribulations? You know what you and I have? Tribulation. We're gonna we should expect them. But we should also expect that those tribulations will result in good consequences. And that's what we're gonna be talking about this morning. You glory because these tribulations come and, and go and then come some more as we are on our path, as we are on our journey toward our heavenly home our heavenly destination and these tribulations should not destroy our faith rather they should strengthen our faith i'm sure you've heard the illustration similar to this before if you have a tree and it's just being beaten up and shaken by the storm it just goes roots deeper and it becomes stronger because of the storm wife and i live uh, and kids we spent five years in florida and when we first got there, we moved from New Jersey to Florida, and we noticed a few things. One is the soil is so strangely different. Sugar sand versus rich New Jersey Garden State soil. The other thing that's vastly different is the trees. We didn't have palm trees in New Jersey. They had palm And one of the oddest things to me was the dirt is just sand. It doesn't seem like it has any strength to it at all. Yet when all of those hurricanes come through, those palm trees, you just see them. They never snap. They never get fallen over. Like you see a pine tree in, in New Jersey or even Tennessee. And if you've ever tried to take one of those palm trees down, you're just working extra hard. Because when you get into the root system, it's just one of the strongest root systems that at least, I mean, I'm not a, I don't know if it's, you know, arborist or anything, but it just roots deep, 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 deep roots. What kept that tree? The roots. 
in the midst of those hurricanes and storms? What's going to keep you and I as Christians? In the midst of the tribulations, it's going to be roots deeper with God. All right, so we get there. Now, when you got saved, you got saved from sin. <laughs> You're a sinner, right? But when you got saved and I got saved, the next day, guess where we were still in? This world is full of sin. It's not like that changed. And so why would we expect our life to be just glorious when we're still in the midst of a sinful and a perverse and crooked generation? We still have to deal with all of those trials and tribulations that come about with dealing with sinful people in this world. All right, so look at verse, the end of verse number three. Said, okay, so we'll be glory in tribulation also knowing that tribulation worketh patience. Paul says, but we glory. In other words, he says, don't worry, because one of the first things that I'm going to teach you through tribulations is patience. Now, how many of us fellows really want to hear a sermon on patience? <laughs> Look, it's that is a struggle, not just for the fellows, but for the ladies as well. Patience is, is an issue. And you ask yourself, why do these ungodly people that you and I all know in some way, shape, or form, why do they seem to be able to just stroll down easy street? Does that bother you like it bothers me? It's a bother. You know what we are as believers? We trusted Christ. We have Christ's imputed righteousness. And if that happened at a Sunday, on a Sunday, Monday, we're just as impatient as we ever been. And I know it shouldn't be that way. We've got the indwelt Holy Spirit. It's just that we're impatient. We're impulsive. We're intolerant of other people. It's it's hard. And in life hard. Try being Moses. Moses kills an Egyptian. He buries him in the sand. And God says, I'm going to have to teach you a lesson on some patience, Moses. He's on the backside of the desert. A burning bush happens. It's not consumed. And God says, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. You'll learn some patience. And he says, I'm going to go with you. Because you ain't going to deliver your people the way you were going to deliver them by just slaying every Egyptian. We're going to do it my way, and I'm going to show you some patience through it. And by the way, if you're children, when the children of Israel ask who sent you, tell them I am sent you. Now I'm telling you, Moses messed up some things. He should he should have spoke to the rock, right? We we know we know he wasn't a perfect man. Did everything. You know what God called him? What he called the meekest man on the earth. They got called meek. He had some meekness. That's strength under control. God had to teach him some patience. But you try being Moses and dealing with stiff-necked people. It's nice. We're all going to go through it. We're, we're no different. We're no different than Moses. Go to Colossians. Book Colossians chapter number one. Colossians 1, look, the Bible says in verse number 9, Colossians 1, verse 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, 
do not cease to pray for you and to desire like filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing, here it is, in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and suffering with joyfulness, with the right walk, with the right increasing in knowledge, with the, with the right strengthening, you know what we can do? We can have real patience. And real patience comes along with it. I have a good friend. I'm sure you have friends or people that you know like that. You know them so well. You know that they're just really trying to be patient. <laughs> but they're not. They're ready to. Let the guy or the gal have it. That's not biblical patience. I mean, I'd rather have that than the guy tell me off. I'd rather him pretend to deal with me patiently. But real patience is you're able to do it and have some joy. That's godly Christian patience. Now, I'm not saying, look, I can preach it, but I'm not saying I can live it all the time. <laughs> you gotta admit there's some stuff in the Bible that we know we can preach, we can teach, we can get a hold of it, but then when it comes time to live it, it's like, man, oh man. The living it is the convicting part. That's the convicting part. Tribulations, though, it will result in patience. And when we're looking at Romans 5, look at the how in the world can you do it? We'll get to it deeper into the message, but it's because, Romans 5, 5, the love of God in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. That's what shed abroad. I'll tell you, it's the love of God. We, my wife and I, we'll take, if we're walking somewhere, we'll, we'll, we'll hold hands and walk. We like doing that. We like walking and holding hands. And sometimes you get to a cluster of people and you get to that cluster of people and you can't get through because you hold hands. So we have to stop holding hands because you don't want to just barge through people. That's rude. And, you know, oh, excuse me, you try to you know, come around and, you know, I'll come around and, and then we'll come back and we'll, and we'll hold hands again and continue walking. Now that works in a crowd of people. That works down here on earth. But I'm telling you, that does not work with God. As soon as we come to a little cluster of trials, a little cluster of tribulations, you know what we do? We, we take our hand off of God's hands and we'll say, we'll just go by the power of the flesh. We'll just kind of figure this out. On our own. And we say, you know what, Holy Spirit, I'm not going to yield to you. I'm going to yield to my flesh. and I'm going to do what I want. I'm telling you, that's a mistake. That's a mistake in our Christian world. We need to stay as close to God as we can when we come to a trial or we come to a tribulation. That's the worst time to try to get away from God. And the best time to try to get closer to Him in the midst of a trial. Romans chapter 5, look at verse 4. 
and patience, experience. You gain more confidence with God as you develop experience with God. Romans 8.28, it says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Do you love God to them who are called according to his purpose? Are you living for his purpose? Any young sailor, when he's put out in the ship, is going to be afraid once his first storm hits. Any young fighter is going to be afraid when you put him in to have his first match. That's normal. It's going to happen. But as you go through the tribulation, as you gain some more patience, that patience is going to fall out in you and I's life. Experience. More experience with God. Experience proves a man. The most helpful man is the experienced man. The hope the most helpful one is an experienced woman. This is why the church needs older men who are involved with the congregation. They might not be able to go gung-ho out with all the evangelism like some of the younger fellows, but they have the proven experience of living a Christian life that adds a lot of value to some of the younger men. This is why a church needs older senior saints, senior women that have been proven their life's been proven as a walk with God. They can relate to the younger women and help them understand. Look, these trials are going to come. These difficulties are going to come. Look, I was there. Here's what I did. Here's what I would do different if I had a second time around. Experience proves the person. And I'm telling you, a good, strong, healthy New Testament church has some older saints that are involved in the lives of the younger ones. And when that is put in its right context, it works. Experience proves it. I know this world has just gotten into an isolationist view. Everything is, we'll just kind of, we're there, we've got this wall where no one's really going to get close to us. The internet, it's really, it has its blessings and its curses. Relationships don't work online like they work in, in, in real life. They don't. Experience. You can learn a lot from somebody's experience. And we, and we need that. Look at verse number four at the end. It says experience hope. Hope keeps us going back to the end result of the tribulations that we're going through. Holy Spirit always with us to show us and to guide us. But remember, look at verse 6. It says, For we, when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. That's you and I. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, if for adventure for a good man someone even dare to die. But God, the man that has loved toward us while we were yet sinners, Christ died. For us. So let me get this straight. Doctrinally, we all know, and most of us probably have already trusted Christ as our Savior. And when we did that, we were lost and undone and unclean. 
and, and all that, right? We, we, we got a hold of all that all the way through Romans 1, 2, and 3, and even 4. So why is it now as Christians, if we can trust him when we're ungodly sinners to the salvation of our soul, how come we have such a hard time trusting him in the tribulations or trials of our marriage or of our child rearing or of our work? environment or of our church family or of our isn't that weird why isn't our trust even more strength we trusted him for salvation he saved our soul and now that we're saved we're kind of backing off with some trust we should have more because we know if he can save us and he did save us from our sin we're accepted the beloved now. We're no longer his enemy and, and a condemned criminal. Experience hope. The Bible says hope make it not a shame. Don't be ashamed to profess this hope. When I was a little kid, you know how many things I wanted to do? I'm going to be a professional baseball player. I'm going to be a professional football player. You know how many kids say, I'm going to be a you know, professional musician. I'm going to be, I'm going to be, I'm going to be. Just like the richest man in the world, I am going to have a successful entrepreneurial endeavor. And you know what your family and friends say to you? Stop it. You struck out the last three little league games. You're not that good, son. <laughs> okay. I remember telling my, I told my friends and family, I was fresh out of high school. I said, I'm not going to college. That's a stupid idea. You know, anybody you go to college, I'm not saying you're stupid. I'm just saying for me, that was it was a dumb idea. So I'm not going to go there. Here's what I'm going to do. I gave them my plan on how I was going to start it. You know, they all said to me, that's not going to work. Don't do that. You're not that smart. That's no money. Well, that's all I needed to hear because I doubled down and made it work. <laughs> now, a lot of money, but I was in it. What I'm saying is, how many people Put their mind being successful in the small things down here. Academics, athletics, music, entrepreneurial, and they go at it and they make something of themselves despite all the adversity. You've heard these stories. You've watched, you know, little little things on YouTube or documentaries where they're going over facts to riches stories. You've seen them before. Or God's not in most of that. It's man disciplining himself to accomplish something. You know what really boggles my mind? Christians who are saved by the blood of the Lamb, washed in the blood. They hit one little trial and tribulation and they start back. The world doesn't do that. We're going to hit some trials. We need to go roots deep in that. Don't make it not a shame. Don't be ashamed. Someone laughs at you, don't be ashamed. You're living, you're living for God and keep it up. And it doesn't make it a shame because the Bible says in verse number five, we, we read it before, we'll read it again. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our heart. Now, you know that's a gift. Because you don't have your own personal love that really can merit much. You and I need the love of God. 
that's why we can do it. Because, look, my love for you will run its course. And you've got to tolerate, put up with me, preaching three times a week. Your love for me is going to run its course. If you're a parent, you know your love for your kids is going to run its course. Because about 3.30, 4 o'clock, you know, roll around, and you, you can't wait till bedtime. Look, I'm not lying. It happens to everybody. You can't go through the trials of this life with your own love. You and I need the love of God. That's what shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. That is what can keep us going. That is what can sustain us. Praise his Holy Ghost. You know what the Bible says a lot about in the New Testament? Look at the end of verse 5. By the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Did God just tell you that he gave you the Holy Ghost? And what you were? I talked to a guy a couple of weeks ago, one of the, the outreaches. He wanted to convince me that I didn't have the Holy Ghost. I needed to speak in tongues. He started babbling incoherent. And when I said to him, I don't know what you're saying. And neither does God. He told me I needed a prayer language. And when I told him I have a prayer language, it's English. He didn't like that. And he said, well, you might be sealed with the Holy Ghost, but that's on the outside. You don't have it on the inside until you can evidence speaking in tongues. And by the way, if someone came into your church, would you be able to deliver them from a, from a demon? I said, no, but the word of God can. The power of the gospel can. You know what the Bible says? Go to First uh, John chapter 4. First John chapter 4. And as you turn in there, it, it, it's just chock full of Holy Spirit being indwelt, of believers being indwelt with the Holy Spirit. For you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, Romans 8. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. The Bible also says, what? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is, guess where? In you. That's where it resides. In you. First John chapter 4. Look what it says in verse 12. First John 4. Verse 12, no man has seen God in his time. If we love enough, God dwelleth in us. And his love is perfected where? In us. Hereby we know that we dwell in him and he where? In us. Because he hath given us what? His spirit. Where is that spirit? In you, in you. And if you've not trusted Christ and been reconciled to him, you don't have it. You only have your love, which is going to fail. It's eventually going to fail. Now, you know what First John tells us? If you want proof, you're full of the Holy Spirit. You know what it tells? If you want the proof, it's this. That you love one another. Well, my preacher isn't perfect. Well, that's a pretty easy one to figure out. Just hang out with my wife for one day. Hang out with my kids for a Dad's not perfect. The preacher's not perfect. Wives aren't perfect. Church members aren't perfect. None of us are perfect. But we have the love of God set abroad in our hearts. We should be excited about God, serving God, loving God. Why? 
gave us the Holy Spirit. It's dwelling in us. And it evidences, it shows the world what true love looks like. And we should be different. We should be different, loving one another. The Bible says Philippians 2, For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You know what I learned for many years of being a nutthead? And believe me, it was many years of being a nutthead. Don't take credit for nothing. My desire as a young man was to make it in this world financially and entrepreneurially. And my goal was to be able to stand on the podium at first place. And I did. It's nothing. It's nothing. You know how many times this happened to me? Raise your hand. Get your hand raised. And number one. You know what it is? Nothing. It's nothing. Someone in my, not a friend of mine, just from our industry, decorated champion. Well, champion from 2012, 2021, and I think one year got beat for second place or something. Well, that's a pretty long time. Highly decorated. He was in a place he shouldn't have been. Someone would give him a hard time, mouthing off. Started getting physical. He very calmly tried to subdue the situation calmly without hurting the person, without doing anything, trying to be as gentle and calm as he could, he could do to subdue it. As soon as that situation started to settle down, the one man that was giving him a hard time started to back off, pulls out a gun, bang, bang! That quick, he's dead. Excellent shape, excellent health. Had one of the most decorated careers that you can have. I'm just telling you, young people, things happen so fast. Trials and tribulations and the things that happen in life come so quickly. Don't live your life full of pride. Just don't take credit for nothing. Just live out Philippians 2.13. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It's God. Oh, God. Go to Psalms 12. Let's take a trip there. Everybody okay? Glad on Sunday morning. Watch it sells verse 6. Psalms 12. Verse number six, Psalms 12, six. The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Sterling silver, they say that when it says sterling, it's 92.5% silver. And then, I, I think they even stamp it, 92.5 silver. And then it's like, the other percentage is of another metal to make it 
hard, so don't, but I bent it. I don't know. And then fine silver, if it says fine, that means it's 99.9% pure silver. You know what that silver has to go through? A purifying and a heating and a refining process to get rid of all the junk. And as it goes through that fire and as it goes through that trial and as it goes through that tribulation, it proves itself to be pure. Now, in Psalms 12, every time the word of God is tested, it proves itself pure and pure and pure and pure. And us as Christians, to make some personal application, every time we go through a trial that God puts us through, we should emerge pure and pure and closer and closer to God. That's how he wants it to work. Patience, experience, and in hope. Go to First Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter one. Why is trial and tribulation important? First Peter chapter number one, verse number seven. That the trial of your faith, First Peter one seven. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth. Though it be tried with fire, might be found, watch this, unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. When the heat is turned up, it's going to bring out the true value of your faith when the heat gets going. And that's the idea. It's an opportunity. A trial and a tribulation is an opportunity. You know what? To get some spiritual exercise. That's what it is. Labor more effectively. God. Psalm 66, you don't have to turn there. It says, For thou, O God, hast proved us, thou hast tried us as, this is the tie into Psalms 12, as silver is tried. It's an idea and a thought bringing us back to that Psalm 12 verse. I'm telling you, out of the battle of life, man emerges stronger. Out of the trials of everyday life, women emerge stronger. We're stronger in our faith. The problem today, it's weak Christianity. It's flabby, out of shape, gluttonous Christianity. We don't need young boys growing up to be not growing up and staying young boys. Running from challenge. Trying to play both sides against the middle because you don't want to offend anybody. I'm telling you, you're going to have to draw a line in the sand and say, I'm going to stand for God. I don't care what the world says. I don't care who makes fun of me. I don't care if they laugh at the way I dress. I don't care if they laugh at the music I listen to. I don't care if they make fun of the preacher at the church where I go to. I'm going to stand for God. We don't need weak, fat, flabby Christians. We need some Christians that got a little bit of grit to them. Got a little bit of toughness to them. The only way you're going to get that is you're going to have to face that trial straight on. You're going to have to lock one arm with God and the Holy Spirit that dwells in you. And you're going to have to go through that thing to get some purifying experience. Amen. That's a good time to say amen. I'm not trying to be mean or yell at anybody. I'm just excited. I'm an intense person. Okay. 
good night. Trust God with your results. Your power isn't going to last. You hold hands with him. We'll give you some everlasting power. We'll get through it. My kids aren't afraid. They're used to me. I'm, I'm like this all the time. Proverbs 24. If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. Where'd you build your house? On the rock or on the sand? Better be on the rock. Talked a bit this morning. Devotion to unity. Evangelism. People get stuck in a rut. They just spin their wheels. My job is to kind of come alongside you and give you a little bump on the backside of your truck so you can get the thing out. Right. Look, look. An undevoted prayer life, an undevoted church life, an undevoted evangelistic life. Keep doing it. You're going to have to devote yourself to God more fully. You try being a Christian in a room all day. Try being Stephen, being stoned. Try being a first century artist calling out to God and trying to witness as they're being lit. You say that, that don't ever happen to me. That's not the way to think. The way to think is, praise God, it's probably not going to happen to me. But I recognize there was others that went before me. It's called respect. And it gives us a glimpse of another reason to praise God. If you put some pressure, I have to be able to withstand it. Anybody here, Baco? When he was 26 years old, he started getting buzzing and ringing in his ears. At the age of 30, they said he wrote to his childhood friend saying that his hearing was growing weaker and weaker. He said from a distance, he was starting to, he couldn't really hear the high notes. And he could hear sounds, but not words. He kept it a secret, they said, most of his life. He didn't want his career to be ruined. He hit a lot of trials and tribulations. At 44 years old, Beethoven was almost completely deaf. He was unable to hear voices and unable to hear most of the sounds of nature. You know, I've been struggling with my eyes. And I went from 1.5 to 1.75. And, you know, I, I, last week I'm studying and I'm studying and I'm studying and I get frustrated because I'm throwing my glasses down. I'm taking a break because I have a hard time keeping my, my focus. And I got to go. I'm due for another uh, appointment. And um, I'm thinking of that as I'm studying out Beethoven and just how important and how much we take for granted hearing. We wake up and say, we're going to hear every day because we heard yesterday. We're going to see every day because we saw today. Beethoven, his famous fifth symphony is said to have been communicating the affliction of his loss of hearing. Listen to Beethoven's fifth today. And if you ask any classical musician, most of them will say that it is the most emotionally exhausting pieces ever. 
for them to play. Listen to it today. Well, if he couldn't hear, how did he write music? He remembered what the sounds sounded. He played and heard music for the first 30 years of his life. He knew how the instruments sounded. He knew how all the notes worked together because he was so close to it. And it was a slow deterioration. It wasn't, okay, Monday I could hear and it's completely gone. It was a slow deterioration. So what he would do, he, was, he would imagine in his mind what this would sound like. You know what problem most Christians have? You don't go from being saved and excited about living to God for, for God, and then the next week you're just out in the world, the bar's getting drunk and shooting needles in your mind. That doesn't happen. It's a slow deterioration. So by the time you get to the most filthy part of it, you're already sunk. You know how many people have had great marriages and then over time it just slowly deteriorates and it's too late. The kids have grown up. The 18 years is over now. It's too late. It's a slow deterioration. You have a life to live for God. You're on your deathbed. You're dying. And you're regretting. It's too late. And there's nobody for you now to witness to. All of your friends that were running with the world and the devil, you never told them about Jesus. It was just a slow deterioration. Beethoven's housekeeper said this. As his hearing got worse, he would sit at the piano. He'd put a pencil in his mouth. He'd put a pencil in his mouth. As he's sitting at the piano bench. And he would lean his head with his pencil on the piano. And he'd play the piano. So that he could hear the vibrations of the music. That's someone that's close. That's someone that's real close. They said. He ended up. Wrecking pianos. Because he was playing so hard, he couldn't hear, but he wanted the vibration, so he's slamming on these pianos. The strings are jangling. And that's the report of, the, of his house. When his ninth symphony premiered, Beethoven was almost completely deaf, yet he insisted on conducting the orchestra. But the orchestra hired another young conductor to stand up there next to Beethoven. And he told them, don't look at Beethoven. and Don't follow him. You follow this young orchestra. Or you follow this young man leading the orchestra. When it premiered, nobody had their eyes. It was a standing ovation. He couldn't hear Young conductor went over to Beethoven. He turned him around and see the applause. I'm telling you the problem with Christians. You see all the applause of man, yet you won't turn around and look at God. 
because your eyes are so on the applause of man. That's all people want. And it's all vanity. It's all going to go away. I'm telling you, I have got to stand before you and turn you away from the applause of man and turn you to God. It's only his love. It's shed abroad in your hearts. Don't do anything. It's only his love. You've got to forget the pride. You've got to see for who he is. I'm going to finish with three verses, 2 Corinthians 4, and then we're done. Second Corinthians 4, verse number 8. We're going to finish with scripture. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Verse 17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more and exceeding an eternal weight of glory. I've got eternal glory coming. If you've trusted Christ, you've got the same thing. Go over to chapter number 6 in 2 Corinthians. Look at verse number 4. But all these things approving ourselves as the minister of God, of God, in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in strife, and imprisonments, in tumults, and labors, and watchings, and fastings, by pureness, by knowledge, by suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love of fame, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and beheld live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing. Possessing all things. You can have everything in this life, and I'm telling you, on the authority of the word of God, you've got nothing. Not for eternal weight, not for eternal glory. It's nothing. Second Corinthians 12. And I'm done. Verse number seven, 2 Corinthians 12, verse seven. Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, unless I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord Christ that it might depart from me. The Lord never took Paul's thorn in the flesh away. You know what he told him? Verse number nine. My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. I want you to be a bold Christian. I want you to be a strong Christian. But the Bible tells us. My strength is made perfect in weakness. When you're weak. When you're going through trials and afflictions and all that. God's strength will keep you. 
His grace is sufficient. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather glory in my infirmities than the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. Everything we do should be for his sake. We're so looking for a corner to get our little angle on. This is going to protect me. This is going to be good for me. This is going to be great for my family. How about my sake? How about Christ's sake? I'm not telling you to sign up for infirmity. I'm telling you to get out of the battle for Christ's sakes, and it's just going to come. I don't want it to come, but it's going to come. And that's why people don't get out and serve God. That's why people don't go out and live for God. Because it's not for Christ's sake. You want your marriage to work? It better be for Christ's sake, not for your own personal sake. You want your kids to have a good, joyful, fun life growing up in your home and in a good church? It better be for Christ's sake. It better not be for selfish sake. You want to have good friends, good Christian friends, good community, good fellowship? It better be for Christ's sake. It's all for Christ. Only one life to live will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.